0: This is Your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life, the podcast dedicated to helping you create the kind of life you want, a life of purpose, a life of prosperity, and a life of joy by using your life experience and the gifts that you have. I've got a special guest today, and I'm excited about that, and I'm going to introduce him in our picture here today there we go dr mort Orman. mort welcome to the show thank you for having me kellen i'm just thrilled to have you here so mort is a really interesting cat he's got a long (laughs) medical practice and some corporate experience and has done all kinds of amazing stuff and rather than uh make an attempt to introduce him properly i'm just gonna let Mort tell you a little bit about himself what do you do
2: where have you been and why are you here with us today? Well, I'm here today because you invited me and I accepted. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've uh, been a, a medical doctor for 50 years, internal medicine, and I had a private practice for 23 years. And then I worked in, uh, for Blue Cross and Blue Shield uh, plan as a corporate medical director, a health and wellness medical director, among other duties. Uh, and, um, over the last 40 years, I've also been helping people eliminate anger and stress from their lives so they can have the ultimate life without anger and stress in it. And, uh, that's mostly what I'm doing now, um, since I've, uh, no, I'm no longer, prof- you know, working professionally, you know, as a physician, but I'm still a healer. So I'm still interested in helping people be healthy and well. And uh, the best way I can do that now is to help them, you know, reduce their stress and get rid of their anger so they don't get divorced and don't get alienated from their kids and don't lose their jobs um, or get passed over for promotions or things like that. So that's why I'm here. I'm here to talk about anger and and, um, the the importance of getting rid of it rather than managing it. So I don't believe in managing anger. I think that's that's a loser's game. Um, I'm really interested in Showing people there's another way to deal with anger, a better way, and and that's what I like to talk about and and open people's awareness to. Cool. Well, we'll dig into that
1: more deeply. So uh, let's back up a little bit. What made you, in the first place, decide to enter the profession of healing? You know, my uh, my brother's a doctor, and it takes you know a certain kind of person. So tell me, tell me what got you into?
2: Well, it's a funny it's funny story actually because I never wanted to be a doctor. Um, I, I I didn't grow up wanting to be a doctor I actually grew up not wanting to be a, do- a doctor I was getting pressure from my parents uh, who that's what they wanted me to be but I, I didn't like anything about the, the whole profession I mean I didn't I didn't like sick people I didn't like old people I didn't like going to doctors' offices getting shots um, and I really didn't think I had the aptitude you know to be a physician I didn't think you know, I was, I would be able to read, do all the reading that was necessary and studying. And I just didn't think I had the um, the intellectual capability to function at that level, which I imagined was this extremely high level that was way beyond my capabilities. So I never, uh, although I did like science, like I got turned on to science at a very young age. And so when I went to college, I, I wanted the best science courses and those were pre-med. So I enrolled in pre-med, made my parents happy, but I knew I wasn't ever gonna go to medical school. And then, you know, as I got towards graduating, I applied to medical school to make my parents happy, and I actually got accepted, but I knew I wasn't going. And I decided, you know, late in my college career to be a biochemistry uh, researcher. And so I made an appointment with the head of the biochemistry department at Duke, where I was undergrad, uh, to get a position there. And um, I walked in, the guy, guy didn't know me from Adam, I walked in, introduced myself, told him my story, told him how I got accepted in medical school. And what I really wanted to do was be a biochemic, biochemistry researcher. And after my little preamble, and when his turn to speak, he looked at me, looked me right in the eye, and he said, are you some kind of an idiot? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, and what, he, good. What, he, what he meant was, don't you know Don't you know that you'd be in a much better position to do biochemistry research with an MD degree than with a PhD degree, which I didn't know. And, and he said, don't, don't you know that you can go to medical school and you don't have to be a doctor when you're done? A lot of people go to medical school and they don't end up practicing medicine. They do other things. I didn't know that either. So this guy, in like 15 minutes, he changed the trajectory of my life because he basically said, What's the worst thing that can happen? You go to medical school. Let's say after the first year you don't like it, you you know come back here. I'll give you a position. So he, he just really did me a favor and and uh, showed me some or exposed opened my eyes to some things that I really didn't know, and I said okay I'll give it a try. So I went and to my surprise I ended up liking it. I ended up getting turned on to practicing medicine, and, and you know and then I really fell in love with it. And then that's what I've been doing ever since. I really you know, my, my life, I, I discovered my life purpose is to help people, you know, improve their health and well being. And um, that, that's what I've been doing the last 50 years, everything what I do. Still doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, everything I do is in, you know, in service of that life purpose.
1: So you said something really interesting. <clears throat> you said, in 15 minute conversation, he changed my life trajectory. He allowed me or helped me see you know uh, something i hadn't considered or wasn't able to see before and it strikes me as you say that that that's a lot of what i know about you in terms of uh both emotional stuff and particularly anger helping people see stuff they wouldn't have seen otherwise is that true
2: yeah that uh, i didn't realize it then but that became like um the major theme for my life Every big accomplishment I've had, every big breakthrough I've had uh, came from moments like that where I realized I was, I was fundamentally wrong about something that I wasn't aware previously that I was wrong about. So he showed me that I was wrong about what it meant to go to medical school and, and you know, what, what the best career path was for a biochemistry researcher. And, and I didn't know that, or I, whatever idea I had was wrong, and, and he was giving me good advice. And, and I've had many other big breakthroughs along the way were ultimately boiled down to me realizing I was totally wrong about something, or I didn't see something that I needed to see. And <clears throat> once I saw it, then that kind of opened the doors, and I was able to succeed in that area of life where I hadn't been able to succeed previously. So it was, I've had some amazing breakthroughs like that all, all came from literally being wrong. And, and it's funny because as a doctor, the, what you're taught is the last, the worst thing possible is to be wrong.
1: Well, I wanted, I wanted to say something about that <laughs> wrongness, because just in the conversation with you, and we've had other combos, but in, in, you, you use the word wrong in a very easy, fluid way. And lots of people, the word wrong is almost like a dirty word. Yeah. Like if if you say somebody's wrong, it's like cussing at them or something. And yet you said, well, I've learned some of these greatest things in my life by learning I was completely wrong. And using it in the sense of what it just means to be incorrect about something. And I just wanted to call that out and have you talk a little bit more about destigmatizing the idea of being wrong. And it's even... Uh, It's even more interesting because you have the overlay of not supposed to be wrong as a doctor. So talk a little bit more about this wrong thing.
2: Yeah, it's, it's more than an overlay. It was like seven years of boot camp where every day it's drilled into you. Don't be wrong. Don't be wrong. Don't be wrong. That's the worst thing you can do as a doctor is be wrong. Don't make a wrong diagnosis. Don't write the wrong prescription. Don't put the decimal point in the wrong place you know, you can kill somebody if you do that stuff. So everything in my training for seven years was fortifying this uh, belief uh, that thou shalt not be wrong. And then what I discovered when I went out into practice and went out into life, I had all these issues with anger and anxiety and relationship failures and, you know, struggling, you know, with my own self-confidence and wanting to accomplish things and failing to do it. And, and it turned out in almost every one of those areas, I didn't have a breakthrough until I was willing to be wrong. And I was blocked. It was like I was shut off from the, the key to success because I originally I was so averse to considering that I'd be wrong about anything. And I was very well trained as a physician. So, you know, in that arena, you, it's a good skill to have. But when in other areas of my life, like relationships, for example, um, I failed consistently in all my relationships with women and it wasn't until I woke up one day and said, I wonder if I don't, I have some screwed up ideas about how to succeed in a relationship with women that aren't correct. And once I asked that question and then started exploring that, I found that there, yes, indeed, there were many ideas I had. I don't know where I got them from, but many ideas I had about how to function in a relationship that were really uh, dysfunctional. And it wasn't until I recognized them and then said, okay, I need to find out what or some good strategies, and I, and I sought out some experts and some people who knew a lot about relationships, learned some stuff from them, and realized those were better principles and better uh, strategies than the ones that I had you know, been operating from, uh, thinking I was right when I was actually wrong. So then I had the huge breakthrough in my area of relationships. I've now been married to my wife for 39 years, which never would have happened if I hadn't been willing to admit to myself that I had bad ideas about relationships and that I was wrong about a lot of stuff and I needed to find out what were some good ideas. And I've done that, not just in relationships, but that's how I cured my anger problem. That's how I cured my tremendous fear of public speaking. I mean, I could have never, I would have never volunteered to do something like this uh, in in my twenties and thirties because I was just petrified to speak in public. But I found out what, I was wrong about, about public speaking and that enabled me to turn things around. And now it's something I do all the time. And I feel very comfortable doing, but it wasn't how, go ahead. Yeah, I go was ahead.
1: just going to ask how important is it? Like we're talking about creating a life that you enjoy purpose, prosperity, enjoy yeah. making a difference and all that. How important is it in your experience and in what you teach to be okay, to be non-drama okay with
2: being wrong about stuff? like i said i think it's essential i think because we all well firstly so i'm a doctor Uh, i'm into biology i'm into the way the brain works i'm into the way the body works and if you really look honestly at the brain and the body we are designed to be we are biologically predetermined to be wrong we have lots of blind spots we get programmed with lots of ideas that we get from other people who may not have been correct in what they were programming into us. We get programmed by the media every day, by advertisers every day. We get all these inputs that get incorporated into our bodies and our brains that make us wrong about a lot of stuff. And yet, and then we have this penchant for wanting to believe we're right. It's like, it's interesting because we're biologically, we're, we're, we're basically wrong a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And, and we're, we've got this ego that wants us to be right. So we don't make the normal corrections that a, an individual would make. So if you're, if you're physically blind and you can't see, you go out and you get a seeing eye dog or you get a cane, or you do whatever you need to do to adjust to your, your deficit. But we have these blind spots all over the place that uh, we don't correct for because we keep thinking we're right when in reality we need to examine a lot of the things we think we're right about and that's how we actually get to be right it's funny it's like a paradox you get by by willing to be wrong you actually get to be writer and then the next thing you're right about may turn out to be wrong but if you're willing to do that then you get to a higher level of of seeing what's real and what's true and how things function so it's like a never-ending process of questioning what you currently believe because it changes. My my first day of medical school, day one, okay, 144 young medical students are assembled, you know, on our first day of school before we go to our class and everything. And the dean greets us and welcomes us and congratulates us. And then he said, by the way, I have some bad news for you. He said, 50% of what we're going to teach you, and this is scientific medicine, what we're going to teach you in the next four years is going to turn out to be wrong. I just don't, I can't tell you right now which 50% that's going to be. (laughs) And he was was right. He was right. And you could make that same statement to any medical school in the country today, to the incoming class, and you can tell them 50% of what you're going to learn is ultimately going to turn out to be wrong, and we don't know which it is yet. But that's, that's the nature of, and that's one of the highest levels of knowledge that we have. Scientific medicine uh, is, is one of the highest levels of certainty and knowledge that we have. And it's still uncertain. It's still it's still got uh, a lot of things that change over time and evolve over time. And we have to keep reevaluating our ideas and our theories and develop, adopting new ones that hopefully work better. So this is wonderful.
1: Thank you for for all of that now as you've as you've practiced medicine and i always find it interesting practicing law and practicing medicine you know i practiced the piano for a long time too and so you know you practice these things right and yeah. hopefully you get better at it and figure out which 50 percent of the wrong notes yeah. um so you have become through your own experience and need particularly good at at uh, adding good to the world by helping people understand anger the emotion, the hormones, the neurotransmitters, the reactions, the causes, that thing you said a minute ago, the penchant to believe we're right, and that gives a huge, adds a huge dimension of problem to the whole anger thing, because we think we're right about stuff. Uh, What drove you to, or invited you, or drove you to be, besides your work in internal medicine and helping people with bodies and stuff, what what drew draw, drew you to the anger to the anger stuff
2: well a couple things first i i was fortunate i had a a professor in our, in freshman year of medical school who was a pioneer in psychosomatic medicine and he was a great teacher he was a, he was really a guy we all looked up to in our class and uh, we thought he just could walk on walked on water you know with his ability to to very effortlessly move between the medical questioning and psychological questioning he was he was board certified in internal medicine and then he got board certified in psychiatry so he could he could move back and forth between the mental and the physical and so that got me interested right off the bat in appreciating the role that the mental processes play in physical illnesses and vice versa and um and then when when i you know so when i got into college and into medical school i started having my own anger issues and then i went into practice and I still struggled with anger and anxiety myself personally, but then I'm taking care of patients. And you know, you, you notice as a doctor, you notice which people are kind of on the angry side and which people are more mellow, you know, more calm and more, you know, okay with things the way they are. And you see what happens to them over time. Most people, when they go to work, they don't have that perspective, you know, but when a doctor goes over, we see what happens to people's health. And also they tell us what's going on in their families and in their careers and everything and you can see that the angry people have much more many more divorces they have many more you know conflicts with their kids and many more you know uh difficulties at work or they get fired, or they lose their job and you see this and and, and you see that the other the people who aren't really angry don't have as much of that and then you realize i've got anger i think i see this train that's coming down the tracks heading for me so you, you mentioned <laughs> i want to
1: dive into there for a minute Because it's certainly clear that as a doctor, you would see, you know, you'd be able to tell quickly people that are able to accept what is and live there more, and people that are angry about what is. Yeah. And you can see the difference in the effects. But you mentioned just in passing that you had your own anger issues, and you mentioned earlier that you had trouble to start with, you know, with relationships. So talk a little bit about what you noticed in yourself that, then you know, had the correlation with people. But what were the anger issues
2: that were uh, present for you? Well, for example, I took up tennis um, in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever saw John McEnroe play tennis. I
1: did see him play McEnroe. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the well, marathon match between him and Bjorn Borg and the and, whole night. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, was-
2: well, I was like John McEnroe on the tennis, not in terms of tennis prowess, but in terms of the anger – that he exhibits on court, you know, if I made a bad shot, I would yell and scream at myself. I would smash my racket around whatever was close to me. I would annoy the people playing on either side of me and I couldn't control it. You know, that, that was really the big thing. I, I saw myself doing these things. It was like the anger just took me over and just made me yell and scream at myself and, and berate myself. And, and, uh, you know, it just seemed uncontrollable, and I tried all the standard stuff—you know, the anger management stuff, the stress management stuff, the relaxation. Didn't matter. The next, you know, every day I woke up, I was the same angry guy. So I, I, I had the anger problem, which it's—I got—I would angry, get angry at my patients from time to time if they wouldn't follow my advice or they did stupid things. Uh, it ruined a lot of my relationships. That uh, was a big part of the relationship thing was uh, the anger, and and it just felt, I just felt like. You know, you're you're a successful physician. You're successful professionally, but inside, I didn't feel successful because I kept battling these demons that I couldn't beat. You know, I I had always been able to win at stuff that I put my mind to, and and these emotions and these relationship things were something I kept knocking my head against the wall. I couldn't I couldn't break through. I couldn't get the success I wanted, Uh, and and that's but that so that kept driving me to search for answers. You know, um, I also had the good fortune to grow up in Baltimore in the 1950s. And I got to watch Johnny Unitas play for the Baltimore Colts. Mm-hmm. And and just watching him over the years, he gave me this winning attitude. You know, Unitas was the kind of guy, didn't matter what the score was, or how far behind they were, he would figure out a way to win the game. And more often than not, he, he would do that. You know, and it just, I remember just watching him, I got that, can do eventually. I'm going to figure it out somehow, some way. I'm going to drive to victory. And he gave that to me as a young kid. Uh, wow. and I, and that's actually helped me all through my career. Uh, when I ran into difficult obstacles along my path, uh, I just had this. It's, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it happen. And sure enough, one way or another, I did. So, so that was driving me also you know, that influence kept pushing me to not give up where a lot of people might just say, that's just who I am, I'm just an angry guy, I'm always gonna be an angry guy and, you know, just come be at peace with it. No, I just kept pushing, I said, there's gotta be an answer, there's gotta be a solution. And then I started doing personal development work and I, you know, after a couple of years of that, I started pulling together pieces from different experts, different people I'd studied with. Eventually I got something, cobbled something together that looked like it would work and i tested it out and sure enough it worked it enabled me to get at some of those internal causes of anger that i hadn't seen before that i wasn't aware of it enabled me to realize how wrong i was most of the time when i was angry because anger make you feel right when you're angry you feel justified you do, and
1: this goes back yeah. to where we were before about yeah. the being right is a, is a big part of this so yeah. tell us now about what you cobbled together what is What is this thing that you, because it's really unusual. Like I'm a coach, you're a coach. Mm -hmm. We work with people to, you know, blind spots and help see things they're not seeing and all that kind of stuff. And, and you, you, you know, you took the initiative, you got your positive attitude from a football hero and all all that stuff. Tell us about what you put together to see things you couldn't see before and to learn to love being, being wrong.
2: Yeah. So uh, again, I didn't, re- I didn't realize when I was in my angry years, which was my 20s and, thir- and mid-30s, um, I didn't realize where the anger was actually being generated from. Um, it looked like it was being generated from the things I was seeing that I didn't like, or the things that I was looking at myself I, I didn't like. But if I saw somebody doing something bad or wrong or something they shouldn't be, be doing and it was unfair, unjust you know, that that would trigger the anger. And I thought that that's all there was to it. I didn't realize that also was getting triggered inside me were certain ways of perceiving, certain ways of thinking that was creating the anger inside me. So it really wasn't coming from the outside, it was being created inside. So that was a, a new insight. And then to figure out exactly how I was creating the anger inside, specific ways I was thinking and perceiving so that I, I could know whenever I'm angry, I'm thinking A, B, C, and D. And then I could start to examine those to see is it true? Is A true? Is B true? Is C true? Is D true? And I would find out in that process, wow, you know, some of these things I automatically assumed were true weren't actually true. And that's where you get to find out, you know, you're wrong about something. But until you know what that uh what that formula is that's causing the anger and exactly what the thought structures are or perceptual structures are, you don't know what questions to ask, or you don't know what things to You say, is this true, is that true, is that true, until you know well, what they are. So, so that's what I, would that. to, yeah. Yeah, I want to eventually Yeah. Yeah,
1: I want to hear the questions I don't know to ask. I want to have the shortcut to your learning. What are the okay. questions I need to be asking?
2: Okay, so the first thing is when we're angry, we, we're, we're looking in a way that we see whatever's going on as being bad or wrong or somebody doing something they shouldn't have done. So that, that's the first core element that causes anger. The second core element is that somebody or something is being hurt or harmed or negatively impacted by whatever the bad and wrong thing is that that, that person is doing, OK? Mm-hmm. And the third key element is that whoever's doing the bad and wrong thing causing the hurt and harm is, is pretty much totally responsible or to blame for what, what they're doing and the harm they're causing, OK? so if you're if you're in a grocery store and you look down the aisle and you see a mother and they have a child is young child misbehaving and the mother hauls off and slaps the child in anger um and you get angry why did you get angry you got angry because you saw it as the mother doing something bad and wrong she shouldn't have slapped the child the child was obviously hurt or harmed you know physically being slapped and also maybe long-term harm um, and the mother was totally responsible for choosing to take that action. And when you see it that way, you may have the internal experience of anger. But what's interesting is you could be in the grocery store with a friend who's standing right next to you, they see the same event, and they don't get angry at all. They may have a different philosophy about parenting. They may think that that was good parenting that that was a good thing to do, that the kid's gonna be better off in the long run. And and that the mother wasn't totally to blame, the kid misbehaved. And and that was part of the equation that, you know, you have to factor in, you know, it wasn't just the mother, it was the kid too. So, which would have been a blind spot when you're angry, you don't see that, you don't focus on that too much. You're just focusing on the mother. So you can have two people look at the same event and one gets angry, one doesn't. It's those internal filters or internal ways of perceiving is what's causing it. And I never appreciated that before, nor did I know it was those three specific things. So now whenever I get angry, I have three questions to ask myself. Did the person really do something that was bad and wrong? Was somebody really hurt or harmed or negatively impacted? And was that person totally 100% responsible or to blame or were the other factors involved? And when you start asking those questions, it's very interesting what you discover if you're honest, <laughs> it's a big big if there. <laughs> right, if you, right, right. If, if you're on, you discover that that there there's blind spots galore in those three you know automatic triggered ways of looking at things, and that it leaves out a lot of the reality of what actually went on that you don't see. It's like you have these narrow blinders on, and you you see it in a very narrow way, and that's causing your anger. And when you expand your field of vision, take in more of what actually happened, you go like, oh, wait a second. This has a different flavor to it now or this, the context changes now and i see it differently you know and and now it's not something to be angry about because i'm seeing it more truthfully than i was when i was angry
1: what is the thing we talked about earlier about believing that you're right that sentence you know we've talked before about the stamp of rightness or yeah. when you believe yeah. you're what does that have to how does that factor into this
2: well, when you, when you think about it, we, it's, in our, it's in our genetics. When you think about it, we had to develop that ability because our brains were designed to think in, real quick in these either or ways, good or bad, friend or foe, threat or, or not threat. We had to make these quick decisions in order to survive. And whatever you decided, you had to, you had to act on it. You had to assume it was right. You couldn't just, you couldn't be, you know, in this gray zone. You couldn't be in this, well, let me evaluate, let me get some more data. Let me see what happens. Cause you'd be eaten <laughs> by that time. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so you had our brains, our brains evolved simultaneously, this either or patterns of thinking among other things. Uh, and, you know, quickly deciding, you know, whatever we decide, we got to assume it's right, cause we've got to move on it and act on it. And, and if you. If it's not a threat and we ran away and we were wrong, no problem, we're still alive, okay? But if we stuck around and tried to figure it out and get, get more data and, and all that, you know, get more information, you know, it could be too late by that point. So, so evolutionary-wise, our brains developed this way and we still have those same brains with a lot of the stuff from millions of years ago that's gotten passed on. And that's, that's how we automatically react and think in a lot of ways. And that's where a lot of the blind spots come from.
1: So this is spectacular. I want to make sure that and so from this, you've developed a system and a course that not only applied to you because you've got these learnings and you cured your own anger issues. You've been married 39 years, which, you know, is spectacular as an accomplishment few ever achieve. And I, my hat is honestly off to you for that. That's spectacular. I've met your wife. And so that's a wonderful thing. Anyway, so I want you to tell people two things, where to find more about Mort, where to find about your anger elimination, and you said that earlier, and I want you to emphasize that again, elimination, not management, so anger elimination process, how to get a hold of you, how to find out more about the amazing Dr. Mort and his anger work.
2: Yeah, well, one of the, we have a lot of myths and misconceptions about anger, and one of them is there's only two ways to deal with it. You, you either express it or you suppress it. And neither one of them is great. Okay, sometimes expressing anger can get you in trouble. And if you sit on your anger and suppress it, it has a way of causing problems and, and leaking out when you don't want it to and stuff like that. The problem is there's not just two ways to deal with anger. There's a third way, which is what we've been talking about here, but you can actually make anger disappear by telling the truth about what's gotten triggered inside you that may not be true, that's making you angry. Okay. And, okay. you, and if you can do the process of what we've been talking about, you can literally make your anger go away so that you don't, there's no issue about do I suppress it, do I express it, it's not there anymore. You're not angry anymore, okay? You can literally make anger go away, you can literally eliminate it, and you can go back and things you may be carrying around for years that you're angry, you've been angry about, you can do this process and you can see what you didn't see. Back then, and now you can see it in a new light. You go, oh, okay. I'm not so angry anymore about that because I'm seeing that, that's it. That's such
1: a powerful thing. I just want to make sure it doesn't. It's not something you have to do right now. You, if you remember things you're angry about and you reevaluate them in light of more truthful questions and, yeah. and you know, questioning the "I'm always right" stamp and all the rest of it, you can eliminate from your body which is that chemistry and that feeling of tension and the neurotransmitters and all the stuff that goes with it go away it's gone so i don't have yep. to fight with it or eliminate but, it I mean, well you still have
2: it. to do you still have to fight with it because what happens again our bodies are programmed so you can eliminate it in the moment and then it may come back okay. but when it comes back this once you've gone through this process and you know what's true and what's not true and it comes back you just have to repeat the process again and but you have, it's easier because you now know what the answers are you know, what's true and what's not true. But, but it may still keep coming back for a while before okay. it extinguishes itself. But eventually it can extinguish itself. I mean, when I started doing this work 40 years ago on myself, it was like that. I had, it was like whack-a-mole. You know, you keep knocking it down and it keeps popping back up and you knock it down and it keeps popping back up. Now, over the last, most of the last 40 years, I've gotten rid of most of that anger. Things don't trigger me like they used to. I don't get angry over things I used to get angry at. But it took some time for that to actually happen for my body to change in and it doesn't change quickly. So it can take a, a year or two or something of frequently doing this, but anyhow. So, um, yes, yeah, so the way people can find out more about me and the anger elimination program, and it's a really, it's, it's a 10 session program. It only takes 10, one hour sessions of coaching. To teach people this system that I developed 40 years ago and been using ever since and been teaching ever since. And you can master it in 10, in 10 one hour sessions. And then it, you have the system for the rest of your life to use whenever you get angry. You'll, you'll know what the causes are. And you'll know how to deal with them. You'll know how to dig in and see what's true and what's not true. So anyhow, that's what I teach people to do. They can, you can find out more about that and also get on my email list where you, you can communicate with me if you want by just simply going to theangersolution.org theangersolution.org. And you you can download a free report that tells you more about anger and more about my program and how you can get in touch with me if you want to talk to me about it. And it'll also immediately get you on my email list where I send emails out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday uh, on a topic that I pick for the week and I break it in three parts. And if that's not something you want to stay on, you can always you know, sign off of that and not get those emails. But I've had people, I've been doing that for like 13 years now and people are still on it and they like it and uh, not that many drop off. So, <laughs> but it's optional. <laughs> well,
1: Mort, I just really want to thank you. I, you know, I can say I've been on your email list for a long time and I really enjoy the emails that you send. Um, and I want to also thank you for your work, for your heart, for your compassion, And for the work that you're doing in the world, theangersolution.org. dot org. Check it out if anger's getting in the way of your life. Mort, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure, Colin. Now, to to the listeners, as we wrap this up, I want to encourage you to go go through this. Mort's friendly, he's loving, he's kind, and he's dead serious about this work and about how it works and about the changes that it can create in your life. And I know from my own experience and from knowing Mort for some time, that this tool will be a pivotal piece and allow you to create more quickly your ultimate life.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger.